All right, so Jeff is back. Uh, we had to unbanish him because we needed another win, which we got because we unbanished him. The <laughs> ritual is complete. So thank you, Josiah, for willing to uh, allow him to come back from parts mm-hmm. unknown. Uh, yeah, but, the, the, but Jeff, the portal was back. just uh, this weird, weird uh, thing to go through. I got a cold. Uh, I went on the upstairs of a plane. Just the magic portals, man. It's strange. The physics of the transfer portal are still being studied right now. Uh, really, and I'll be, nobody else will believe this because a lot of times fiction, you know, argumentates life or whatever, but uh, Fansville has the most accurate depiction of the transfer portal according to physics. So good job, Fansville. You did it. Um, I do want to ask you a couple questions, Jeff, if that's all yep. right from your trip. Do you mind if yeah. I do that? So number one, how was the trip? Oh, it was absolutely incredible. Um, I learned more about Greek statues that I really n- ever knew I wanted to know, but kind of the evolution of art and architecture and the understanding of science is all kind of built into uh, things like statues and a lot of the architecture um, of ancient Greece, which is a absurdly long period of, you know, thousands of years. It's not as long as Egypt, uh, but you have kind of very long periods of history that I experienced in about two and a half weeks of a few thousand years from um, we went to Kenosis, which was where the Minoan civilization was um, mainly based through. And then, you know, also went to Berlin, where all the buildings were built after 1945. So a few thousand years <laughs> of history, that. some you know, medieval, your classical period, Roman period, uh, all kind of built into this two and a half week trip. Uh, and the weather was absolutely fabulous to experience all of it. I recommend to anyone wanting to go to Europe, don't do it in the summer because it's too crowded and too hot. Do it in the fall or spring. Lots of big forests out there. Uh, I just want to point this out. This was one of the things that always stood out to me. If you actually go to Athens, where they have the the uh, Athena, the temple to Athena, it's actually not a perfect rectangle. So all of the photos make it look like it is a perfect rectangle. It's actually curved on the inside because the Greeks understood that the curvature of your eyeball would force your eyes to assume a straight line is a curved line. So they curved uh, around the edges and around, if you actually walk in, it's bowed a little bit so that the lines appear perfectly straight. They don't um, just let you walk in to the one at top of the Acropolis in uh, in Athens. Correct. Unfortunately, they did. Uh, it was nowhere near as well preserved, but... Uh, in Nemea, there was a temple you could walk through, although it was missing quite a bit. Um, and there is a more preserved temple in Athens, the Temple of Hephaestus. Um, that you, you can't walk in, but it's actually much better preserved. The Parthenon is not very well preserved. Um, it was used at one point as an ammo dump during a war and then got blown up. Uh, there is more of it in yes. London. The Turkish British war, I believe. Museum, than there is in Athens, sadly. Uh Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Just like wow. I think Josiah's Josiah's <laughs> talked about this. I believe there's a crown full of jewels that none of them were uh, pulled out of the ground on Great Britain on the island. No, so no, they were not. No, they were not. These things keep. They just keep happening. Um, what was the best tourist event that you uh, went to while you were out? I was say Nemia was very neat because they let you walk through um, the Temple to Zeus that was there. Um, they also walk us. What is Nemia real quick? Nemia is is, uh, one of the sites of 
the kind of crown game. So if you think the Olympics are actually four kind of co-equal sets of games, one of them was the Olympics in Olympia, uh, the Nemean Games for another one, um, they actually let you... So in Nemea, we went to the stadium where they held the Nemean Games, as well as there's a small town that was... Because there really wasn't anything else happening in Nemea besides the Nemean Games, this town is really set up for the purpose of hosting people for the games. There's a temple. Um, there are areas that would have been a ho- hotels, training facilities, um, a bath. And there's a huge difference between a Roman and a Greek era bath and how those were set up, which was kind of fascinating to compare because we did see Roman era baths in the ruins of those as well. Um, but you could walk through that temple. You could also walk through where was the kind of... Tr- locker room area that they used for the Nemean games uh, and then walk through the tunnel that would have actually been used to get into the stadium. Um, that was kind of a very incredible experience. Uh, Kenosis was probably my favorite set of ruins on Crete, um, which is where in mythology the Minotaur was. And there is some interesting connections between the actual history of the building because it is there are, are a lot of doors. It's a massive building. How to get through anywhere is really confusing. So <laughs> there is thinking, hey, if someone was coming through this, they might have thought, hey, this is a big labyrinth. And one of the central courtyards, they did something called bull jumping, um, where they would actually have people as a sporting event. Um, and both, interestingly, both men and women, which is not something that happened in kind of the later classical period of athletic events it was both men and women competing this where they would attempt to jump over a bull bulls were sacred um and it kind of looked they've got mosaics of it it kind of looked like the rodeo um but one of the other interesting things is there are connections to uh the myth of theseus and how that might relate to uh bull jumping because they did actually have uh Similar to the myth, tributes come from Athens to compete in this um, event, and it's a very dangerous event. It's jumping over a bull, so it's it's kind of very interesting that comparison that that myth may have some basis in reality. Also, Crete has great olive oil. Mm. I can only imagine they do. I mean, it's got to be some of the best, right? Yeah. So I. I want to ask you, you you have one here, football matches. Uh, You told us you were going to go to a couple of games and you podcast about it. Uh, If you don't mind telling us about which one of those games that was your favorite, which one did you enjoy the most? So I will say it's been a a co-equal both. I think the the atmosphere for uh, Olympiacos facing Pauk was more unique compared to other things I had gone to. Um, and I think also one thing of note, our tickets when we went to the Germany Turkey friendly were the first row in the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, which sounds great until I tell you it's we're in the end zone and there's a track in the way. So our, our seats weren't very good, but that was also an incredible atmosphere. But I think it's it's a very that was kind of more like other sports atmospheres I've, I've been to in the US, just a little bit probably higher volume due to the number of people. And that was a very loud pro Turkish crowd for, for their win. Um, but it's just a very unique uh, environment for, for the Greek club league that compared to 
a lot of other sports, but both were, were incredible. And yeah, it's kind of weird being, oh, this is the Olympic Stadium in Berlin they use for the 36 Olympics. And I'm like right near the track that Jesse Owens ran on. And they're still using this for events. And it's very different than, I think, U.S. pro sports, but they don't like having holding on to these historic venues and it's more like college where it's oh yeah this is something where like we've been using this for the 20s you can you can point out where all of these historic events have happened in in the history of the venue i just want to apologize to uh lambo field and soldier field <laughs> um but no i i think the idea of having a specific set of cities or city or set of cities that host the olympics or other once every four year type Olympic style games, World Cup and such would be good. But I think there'd be consternation in a modern world because everyone wants the money that they think they're going to get from those games. Um, food for thought. Uh, the best meal you had while you were on travel. So I ate a lot of things and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to more <laughs> just say individual pieces of food that I, that were really good. So I mentioned the Cretan olive oil. Olive oil is fantastic um actually a lot of people grow their own olive trees um and so people actually grow their own olive trees get them pressed and they don't actually go out and, and buy olive oil um there which was kind of interesting uh the cheese pies and kind of pies in general were absolutely fantastic kind of mix of things that were filo dough filled and then uh kind of more of a, a pastry but all of those were incredible and, and feta and other cheeses were just absolutely fantastic uh so that was probably among the things we we did that for num a number of meals and all of the pies were just absolutely incredible there were both we had some cheese pies we had some spinacopita so cheese and spinach as well as uh i think i had had some that were like cheese and ham that were really good chicken that was really good just pies the other interesting thing is on fries or roast potatoes, people in, in Greece will just put like lemon or lemon juice on it. Shockingly good. Really? Hmm. I do wonder about that. Um, you talked about, and I see you had sent this over, there was a Turkish dish that you enjoyed. You want to talk about that? Yeah, right? lakaman, which is a, a Turkish and Armenian, it's a flatbread that they'll cover, covered with ground beef, spices, that's cooked and then... Typically, you put a giant thing of cilantro um, in the middle of it, roll it up, and then eat it kind of like a, a burrito. Oh, my God. That was so good. I love it. What was the best leg of your trip? I think I see you, you, you've you picked up what I was asking, but what was the best uh, as, the best travel aspect of your trip? Yeah, so no offense to the ship we were on, but uh, I we flew back uh, to the States on a A380. So what is that? Walk us through that. Um, A380 is Airbus's jumbo jet that is two full floors across of of seats. Uh, four massive engines, a big boy. Uh, and there aren't too many airlines that are still flying those because they actually aren't that economical because you can't fill them, which they didn't fill it on this flight. Uh, between Heathrow and, and Chicago, there were a lot of empty seats on this flight, which was great. More legroom and everything. But um, yeah, they're rare to see because the economics of big kind of hub and 
these big planes on a hub and spoke model don't really work anymore as things are more moving to more point to point. But uh, yeah, took advantage of that while while those are still in the air. Excellent. I'm glad you traveled safely and I'm glad you returned safely. Uh, how does it feel to be back in the state? I'm finally over the cold <laughs> that I got right at the <laughs> end uh, and struggled with on, on flight back in the past couple of days while I've also been hosting Thanksgiving. So that was fun. And then uh, finally back to watching some college football, which I missed quite a bit of the season. Uh, you did. I've been you missed the entire up. month of November. <laughs> We missed you while you were gone. I told I told Josiah we're not able to record the pod. We're literally unable to record the podcast without him. It it shut it shut us down a few times. But I am glad you're back. Uh, do you think you'll return to Europe, or would your next trip be to a different continent? Uh, eventually, yes. As I I think I think all the other things that we've sort of planned for trips in the future for the next couple of years are going to be within the U.S. Though, so. Uh, but absolutely would fly back. Just uh, it's it's hard to do that very often with cost and amount of time that it takes to get out there and then do stuff and then come back. So, Josiah, I know you've been to Europe as well, mm-hmm. and I know you've seen some of the myth making and the mythology that happens when you go on these types of trips. I have known about the jumping of the bull that mm-hmm. they do in Greece. Mm-hmm. I've read about it. I've seen it. Um, but Jeff made a really good point that it could be where the Minotaur comes mm-hmm. from. And I know, you know, this may not be your topic of study, and I don't I don't want you to feel like I'm putting you on the spot, but how do those sort of myths and legends come about? And do they precede the act, or does the act come from does the act lead to the legend? I think I think in this case, the act led to the legend, because as Jeff was talking about with that the architecture i actually took an art history class and did several courses in mythology and stuff in undergrad so um but the like the architecture was intentionally labyrinthian as a defense mechanism so that anyone trying to steal something or come into your house wouldn't know their way around automatically because it doesn't make sense in the normal architectural stuff so yeah it is it is a they're winding and weaving they're a little obtuse on purpose. People that lived there know what's going on, but an invader would not. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the architecture and the the bull jumping preceded it. it and probably some of it being like the architecture is weird. People hear that it's weird. They're like, what could they be hiding over there? Well, you know, wouldn't it be cool if they were doing and then then it just kind of takes off from there. So I would guess it probably was the traditions created the story in this case because the traditions were so cool and interesting and unusual bowl jumping is just not a common thing to do <laughs> even we tip you know you run away from bowls but actually leaping over them man that is that is a that is that's a, that's some chutzpah right there so like i i i i would guess if i had to take one from what i know of this stuff that it's that it's probably those traditions because they were so neat and so un- typical not typical so atypical specific to the place so yeah it's really it's super cool to see how these things fit together. The mighty island of Crete, I think the largest of all the islands in the uh, in the Grecian archipelago, or I think in the even in the Aeneid altogether. I'd have to follow yeah. and look that up. But go ahead, yeah, Jeff. I believe that is correct. That's kind of the largest of the Greek islands. Um, 
the landmass unto itself. And I think, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. There was one other oh, yeah, thing. I was, I was just bringing up the oh, uh, bull jumping fresco. Please share. Yeah, yeah. So listeners oh, so cannot pretty. see this, uh, but yeah, the act of if you see in, in the center, there is a young man and fascinatingly uh, in Minoan art, they use skin color to determine or to basically do what the gender of a person in the frescoes are. So it's a young man in the center uh, jumping over a bowl and then on the ends kind of assisting in in the jump are two um, young women. Absolutely beautiful. Jeff, you had a question about uh, uh, what we ate and I figured I'd let you go ahead and ask. Yeah, that. so obviously it is coming off Thanksgiving weekend here. Uh, what what's the best thing everybody ate this weekend? I was down in Mississippi for Thanksgiving, so there's a lot of things to compete there. Um, I, the turkey I had was good. I still maintain turkey is a good bird if you actually cook it correctly and let it rest. Once you finish cooking it, letting it rest like you should all good meat after you finish cooking a large bird. But anyway, um, but really, probably that was good. But I'm as, as much as that was good, I had fried catfish, baby. And that is it was, you know, from a farm, probably a few miles down the road. It was just yeah, it's good stuff, man. And uh you know, if anyone ever wants any catfish recommendations, if you ever end up in that neck of the woods, I got some. That sounds amazing. Jeff, I know you hosted Thanksgiving and uh, you were talking earlier about the brisket. So now now it's time for spoilers. <laughs> Tell us about the brisket. Yep, I, I did brisket this year for Thanksgiving and uh, turned out pretty darn well. Um, just kind of perfect amount of both tenderness and, and juiciness on it. Did kind of my normal spice mix on it, which is salt, pepper, garlic powder, paprika, um, a little bit of secret ingredient. Hint, secret <laughs> ingredients, MSG. Put that in the rub and that kind of <laughs> the flavor enhancer. spikes yes. everything up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the how long the antithesis of the Lincoln Riley. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> how long did you uh how long did you smoke that thing? How how long did you smoke? So that? it went for about eight hours. It was a smaller brisket, uh, which kind of I had to rush in the morning because it went a little bit quicker than I was expecting, uh, to make everything to kind of get every get it in a place where I could then reheat it once everybody came over and we got everything else uh done. But that actually had a pretty decent method of reheating uh with back on the grill with some uh beer in a pan and then with some uh butter on it to make sure it stayed moist so that actually a little bit of an emergency uh solved there making my way to both uh indiana and mississippi to try all of this out um my the best thing i had all weekend uh, so my wife uh, i don't know if you guys know this but uh um boston market's going out of business um they uh, I know Jeff, uh, Jeff is making a face, uh, Jeff, and I, you and I can have this conversation. Uh, Boston Market was bought by some vulture capitalists, and they have been uh, tearing it apart piece by piece. Anyways, um, I love sweet potatoes, and they have a really good sweet potato thing they used to make. Because my wife also enjoys sweet potatoes, she actually uh, recreated the recipe and then enhanced it on her own. Um, so she makes her own crumble. She then makes her own sweet potatoes. She does this 
maybe once or twice a year for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm. It's my favorite thing that she makes. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, we shared the cooking duties. I posted a picture about it, uh, but, uh, we made three birds this year, two Cornish hens and a whole spring chicken. Uh, we shared that. I made some cornbread with my son. Uh, so that was a fun time for him. Uh, we baked that up. The cornbread came out just perfect. Mm. Uh, then we had some green beans that had been seasoned. And then my wife made a uh, skillet uh, macaroni and cheese. Oh, nice. uh, She used Colby oh Jack gosh. and cheddar. <laughs> oh, my so gosh. So <laughs> there's a picture of it. Uh, Jeff, had se- Jeff has seen the picture of it, I yeah. think. Um, and I have to show Josiah, but... Uh, we we had a good time cooking, but the the sweet potatoes every year that's that's my thing, and my wife loves it, and she makes it, and I loved it. Uh, but uh, uh, we have to get together and do a feed your mascot yes. Thanksgiving one of these <laughs> years. So fun. we'll have to be a central location. I guess that's going to be Knoxville. So I guess we're all going to be volunteer fans. UT Chattanooga. <laughs> you uh, listen. He's going to get a job soon, probably. Um, but uh, I think that's going to be our cold open. And so, welcome, welcome, welcome to the week 12, or more accurate, accurately, rivalry week recap here on Feed Your Mascot. My name is Blue, and I'm, we have the whole, the whole, sh- the whole kitchen is back, everybody. All three chefs are here. Good to have everybody. Uh, we're welcoming back Jeff from Parts Unknown, uh, specifically Europe. Uh, welcome back, Jeff. How are you? How was your trip? And how was your Thanksgiving? I am good. The trip was good. Thanksgiving went really well in spite of uh landing late monday night for then turning around doing thanksgiving on the thursday but uh all all is well that ended well and yeah i'm i'm ready to be back in front of the microphone having watched a a full weekend of college football for the first time in uh, Mm -hmm. a few weeks i'm gonna ask and i'll ask both my my co-hosts this and i'll answer it myself how much leftovers do you have remaining at home very little. <laughs> Almost none. I have quite All right, a well. bit. I've got about half oh. a casserole dish of mac and cheese, about I think three quarters of the casserole dish of green bean casserole, um, quite a bit of the brisket. I made a stew for Wednesday night while I was prepping stuff in the crock pot that we didn't eat nearly as much as I thought we would. Um, so... I won't be cooking much this week. Sending my condolences for your Iowa originated pork as opposed to getting real Indiana pork like you wanted. (laughs) Josiah, I hope you're doing well, sir. I see you've got an Oklahoma State jersey on. I see it's number 34. Is that correct? That's right. Got Mr. Who is that again? Thurman Thomas, baby. I'm going to turn around so you can see the name. For you young people, I want to tell you all this. Oh, uh, my gosh. Back in the day, so this is 30, 40 years ago, um, 
Oklahoma State University had a pair of running backs that were just literally out of this world. One we all know about, Barry Sanders, won a Heisman Trophy, went to the Lions, had 10 great years there. Probably one of the best run- – he is the best running back I've ever seen with my own two eyes. But when he was a freshman, there was an upperclassman whose name was Thurman Thomas. And Barry couldn't get on the field because yes. Thurman Thomas was on the team. <laughs> uh, he then went to uh, Buffalo, had a phenomenal career with some guy named Jim Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to four Super Bowls in a row. It's never been – that has never been matched before, before or since. So uh, great talent has always come out of Stillwater, and I love it. Um, I do want to ask you, Josiah, how are you? How was your Thanksgiving? And uh, I know you were traveling and had to dip and dodge some tornadoes this mm-hmm. week. Yeah, it was a. <laughs> we went down to, we went down to Mississippi. Did a lot of Thanksgiving stuff there. It was. It's, it's always funny to me. Um, there's multiple tornado alleys. If folks don't know this geographically, we have one big one that we kind of call the whole thing. But Mississippi, they we have our own Dixie Alley, and so the first night or two we were there, we had a tornado warning, which means there is actually. A tornado in the area, even if it hasn't touched down. So we went into the bathroom and then 10 minutes later, like, ah, you know what? Actually, it's nowhere near where you are. So you can come back out. But, you know, so it like, you know, we were sort of in there, but it wasn't super high stress. We were following the rules and we were going to shut the door if we needed to. But, you know, it, it was fine. Yeah. But driving back up, we dodged other weather because if you watch the OSU BYU game, it was raining. And the temperatures were threatening to fall low enough to turn it to freezing rain, which nobody likes. It's the it's an unredeemable type of weather. And, uh, you know, luckily that didn't happen. And we had to but we had to race up from Mississippi to beat that beat that weather system just in case it turned real icy. So but yeah, it was good. It was good. Other than the weird weather stuff, it was a it was a great time. Leftovers. How much do you have left? I, I got so little, man. We ate almost. I mean, we have like. We had everybody together, multiple of my my wife's siblings and their spouses and and then all of the littles. There's just a lot of folks. And, you know, there's just so little left over by the by a few days of eating on those on purpose. Um, You know, just we decimated it. Excellent. Excellent work. Glad you made it back safely. I uh, There was a football game that was covered in snow and I watched the weather map, the radar, and it was just it was it was a line of snow, a line of mix and a line of rain. And it was just mm-hmm. I, I typed a single word and it was disgusting. Yes. Um, I have very few leftovers. I polished off the rest of the leftovers last night mm. watching the uh, rivalry games uh, into uh, the last game that I watched Florida, Florida State. I was still eating. Um, a lot of leftovers. I fi- finished off the sweet potatoes last night. So um, both of my Cornish hens are gone, uh, which love a Cornish hen. think it's the best possible poultry. Uh, we we had some and we ate it up. And so uh, this today I told my wife, I'm like, I either want a steak or I want a burger. So that's I want something different because we didn't have it on Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about some football, though. We had mm-hmm. the Turkey Day Classic, which I try to watch every year. Big deal amongst the uh HBCU folks, one of the longest HBCU classics that have been going on. We've got some UMass and UConn uh, up there in the in the great tri-state area where they were banging it out to see who was going to, I guess, be the worst team. So I guess the winner gets to not <laughs> yeah, be the worst team. Pretty much. Uh, we, we had Air Force at Boise. Don't know how much of a rivalry this is, but it mattered. And then 
Apparently, we're still in the BCS because some computer shenanigans <laughs> had to happen after that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we got to talk Egg Bowl. I watched it. And, you know, I know they try to hide it from us. But I tell everybody this. You can't you cannot hide football from me. Uh, and so we actually have someone that cares deeply about the outcome of this football game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to talk about it. Uh, we then I have a note just to talk about it for a little bit. Old Oaken Bucket. I'm going to give the victor probably 30 seconds to really, really lay it on, folks, about <laughs> why the bucket is going where it's going. Oh, and yeah. then we're going to do a dessert and we're going to talk about one university's coach that they hired because they could beat some other coach. And I want to have that conversation because the guy who they want to replace is 54 and one against regular competition. And I just don't understand why they want to fire this guy. But we're going to jump into it. I'll go first because I want to pull back the curtain a little bit. We've got the Turkey Day Classic. And so one of the things that has really changed the landscape of HBCU football has been the delineation and the creation of divisions. So Division 1A and Division 1AA. That really changed a lot of things for HBCUs. This is around the 70s. Um, Exact year is outside of my mind right now. So I'm not going to go into the politics of it because – that wasn't the consideration, but the result changed how HBCUs were kind of viewed because originally it was segregation. So almost all the black players were going to these schools. And then when they were made Division 1A and Division 1AA, that sort of distribution changed. Prior to that, though, in Alabama, in Birmingham, at Legion Field, tur- the Turkey Day Classic was played every year on Thanksgiving. And again, I tell people when we talk about HBCUs, we have all the same traditions. We got your we got your good coaches, we got your bad coaches, we got your your dirty coaches, your cheaters, your dirt bags, your your networks of bagmen. All that exists in the HBCU world. All of it's there. And we also have football on Thanksgiving. So this game, the Turkey Day Classic, was really first played in 1926. So this is a century-old game that just started because Tuskegee, probably one of the best-known HBCUs, decided to invite Alabama State, one of the other HBCUs in the state of Alabama, and said, we want to play in football. And Tuskegee went and laid waste to this team for about 50 years. Uh, Alabama State really didn't put up much of a fight. When we talk about underfunded HBCUs, Alabama State is pretty much very high on that list. Mm-hmm. Bama State is a lot like Jackson State. One Josiah can speak too well to, in the capital there of Mississippi. My own alma mater, Norfolk State, is a have-not within the HBCUs. Feels a strong kinship to to Bama State, but over the years the Hornets took a. They, this is Bama State. They really took on an identity of their own and have really started making changes. And they've won a lot ever since another split happened. And then we get Division Two, and that's kind of where Tuskegee settled. Some so context: Tuskegee this year is, is private. Yeah, please. Alabama State is public, which also makes a difference in terms of size and enrollment some of the other sources of revenue, et cetera. Absolutely right. And Jeff, I thank you for pointing that out. Tuskegee University is one of four Morrill Act land-grant schools that are private. And we don't always have that conversation, but Tuskegee also ensures that it gets money from the federal government every year, along with Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University up there in Huntsville. So when we talk about Space U, and look, if the University of Central Florida wants to have that conversation and Purdue, which is 
my co-host, uh, he is an alumni of, and Houston, all of you can have that conversation, but all of them were sending their research when they completed it to Huntsville, Alabama, where the largest NASA research facility is, and they have been funding research at Alabama A&M since they've been there. Uh, so that's really where Space U is. So go Bulldogs. But putting all that to the side, this year's matchup, we've got uh, Eddie Robinson Jr. He's in uh, his second year as the head coach of Alabama State, which I want to be clear about this. This is not Eddie Robinson. The great coaches, there's no relation here. Um, Still I just want, I was about to it ask. is. I'm like, wait, is that? It's so funny. It's so funny. He is not related. I, so, so he is not related to the great Eddie Robinson. His name just also happens to be Eddie Robinson, and he is a junior. Uh, there is no relation there. So, uh, I, I just want to make sure we, we shout that out. But uh, this year, Eddie Robinson Jr. is facing first-year coach Aaron James, who. Uh, is the coach of Tuskegee, and he met, had a massive turnaround in his first year. Uh, he's an alumni of Tuskegee. Uh, I actually remember he and I are contemporaries. I actually watched him play a little bit while he was at Tuskegee. Uh, he was on those great teams coached by Coach Comgey, one of the greatest coaches that you've never talked about. Uh, we talked about him during our uh, uh, Mississippi Valley State University episode. But anyways, in his first year, has a massive turnaround. Tuskegee goes 7-3. and three. Uh, and then shows up and they play a football game. In the end, Bama State just too much. They could not, they could not overcome Eddie Robinson Jr. and his team, and it, it wound up being a blowout. Bama State's got a D1 roster, so they've got 65 guys on the roster as opposed to uh, or should be 85 guys on the roster. Division two Tuskegee has 60 guys on the roster, and they they just overwhelmed them. Uh, the Golden Lions did fight hard. I want to be clear. I, I watched the game, and at the, in the last minutes, Tuskegee sends their guys out there, and Coach James is like, look, it doesn't matter what the score is. I think the score at the time was 31-7. It doesn't matter what the score is. We're going to get out and run, run our offense. And they they played as hard as they could to the end. So Turkey Day Classic goes for Bama State. But I do want to point this out. Um, Bama State, Alabama State University, the Hornets, is the only school that actually puts Bama on their end zones. And so I just want to point that out that, yes, we have another school that calls themselves Bama, but only one of them is really committed. I, I just want to just want to point that out. I'm Maybe not, some I'm not Alabama saying, listeners. I'm not saying, yeah. but I'm just saying I'm not saying but I'm, just, I'm just saying I'm just, I'm just <laughs> pointing it out. Listen, let's be honest. Let's be real. Let's be real honest. Bama State is the one true Bama. I mean, uh, yeah. University yep. of Alabama wants yep. to argue that. Yep. I sure, but you put know, it on the field. They, they put it on their end zones. Put it on the field. Yes, put your money where your mouth is. Um, that being said, uh, I I enjoyed it. I enjoy it every year. I watch as much HBCU ball as anybody. I mm -hmm. did it. I watched all twenty one FCS HBCUs play a football game this year. Uh, I, I I I I did the round robin. Uh, I I'm sure there are others that that did that as well. I shout you out. Uh, probably HBCU game day. We'll get them on here one day. But uh, we did it. Uh, we watched all 21 teams in FCS HBCU play a game. Who um, did you find most all the ones that played this year of, of yeah, the 21? Yeah. Uh, so Prairie View A&M, because they are on, they're toiling on the other side of the conference from FAMU and they quietly won the division mm -hmm. and they, they played just a phenomenal year. That's the, the most interesting SWAC team. Um, the most interesting team I watched play this year on the MEAC is Morgan State. This is by far the best Morgan State team that they have had in probably 25 to 30 years. They beat Richmond, which like mind blown. Oh my gosh. They, yeah. they, 
Yes, they beat Richmond. They took Akron to the wire. (laughs) Like, and then, like, they made a team that won the MEAC. This is Howard University, my second alma mater, where I went to grad school and got a degree from. They, you know, they made them win 14-7 after Howard put 50 on the reigning national black champions, North Carolina Central. So, listen, those are my two most interesting teams. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I watched my alma mater play. They won three games, so... That's great. They got smashed in their last game. Uh, 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 just want to shout out Coach Buddy Pugh uh, from South Carolina State retiring in his 20th season as the mm. head coach of the Bulldogs. Unbelievable. So shout out to him. Shout out to a legend. Yes. Uh, multiple NASA championships, multiple uh, uh, MEAC championships, uh, won the Celebration Bowl against what is the greatest HBCU team, I guess, according to Dion. <laughs> um, so, But the uh. most interesting teams were those two. Uh, still want to shout out. And I want to be clear because what that'll what'll happen is the teams I didn't shout out are going to be mad. So FAMU is having probably the greatest season that no one is talking about. Like mm-hmm. we may hear about James Madison who almost went undefeated and we may hear about Biberty who has gone undefeated in the regular season. But like FAMU has like a single loss and like did not lose in conference play. And it's just like... Let's talk about the Rattlers, guys. Mm-hmm. No, we're, we're going to talk about FSU because they're undefeated. Fine, whatever. Um, so so it was a great season. Uh, and and I'll, uh, hopefully next year I'll be able to watch all 21 FCS teams uh, uh, play again. And I may try to add Division Two in there. So I'll watch all of the SEAC and all of the CIAA. Uh, much higher level of difficulty. Um, so we'll see. But uh, with Howard going to Celebration Bowl, great year for Howard. One to MEAC, mm-hmm. HU, baby. And uh, hopefully I'll go to the Celebration Bowl, but those plans are still up in the air. Um, so I, I had a great time and I got to share it with my two my two hosts who mm-hmm. they have now watched more HBCU ball than they have in any previous <laughs> yeah, season. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. So, so, so proud to do that. Time for Indiana to get an HBCU. Um mm. Hey, their neighbor Ohio, two of their neighbors do. Ohio and yep. Kentucky both have HBCUs. Wait, does, and Missouri? Does Indiana border? Missouri, Missouri? does, but Missouri doesn't border Indiana. Oh, all right. Well, never mind. But Ohio and Kentucky do. So come on, Indiana, get on it. Uh, I'm going to move on. We watched some UConn and UMass play mm-hmm. football. And as Jeff has said, insert your own jokes here. Uh, Josiah, <laughs> you took this one on. Tell us about it. What'd you think? Yeah. And and to give a little preface, you know, I, I will watch some weird and sort of esoteric games. I have done this for a very long time. One of the reasons why I kind of follow this game every year, not just and I have for four, five, six years now, just because these are two programs that are in really odd situations. They're very remote from the rest of FBS, not necessarily from other football teams. There's a lot of or colleges, but, you know, they're remote from a lot of the FBS it's an interesting litmus test because they're, you know, you've got independence, you know, and in a way that just feels kind of strange. Um, UConn is is, a, is one of the few schools where like their men's and women's basketball teams outshine in terms of the impact their football team. Uh, so there's just a lot of there's a lot of interesting things to look at here for me in looking at okay, what's the state of a program like this? These are this is a measuring stick stick game for both of these teams. Some years. They have come into this with one win or none between the two of them. And so it's sort of, uh, okay, well, someone's going to get their first win or going to get, you know, they're going to win more games than they have, you know, than than they than we than they currently have. They're going to, you know, infinitely increase their win total. Um, That's part of why I'm interested in this game is there's just it's 
you know, I like looking at the top of the conferences and the top of the things, but this is, these are teams that are relegated to the bottom most of the time. And what does this game mean to them is always a question for me. So uh, UConn controlled this game kind of from the beginning, uh, which is interesting because UMass was actually favored by about three-ish, two and a half points. Um, so UConn outgained UMass on the ground 240 to 59 yards. Um, so way, you know, just ran them over by comparison. Uh, UConn one time of possession was plus two in turnover stuff. Um, you know, it, 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 they, it, they just kind of ran this game to a T down their throats. And it, it, you know, UMass did score. This final was, I think, 31-18, but that's not nearly as close as it, as it was. It wasn't even that close. So, you know, pretty controlled by UConn. They, they, they took care of business. Um, and, you know, this has been kind of a weird season for both of these teams. UMass began the year with a win over New Mexico State, which is a 10-win, legitimately good team. You know, not going to beat Alabama good, but they're still a very, very good team, especially for a New well, Mexico State Hold on now. State they, did be, they did beat somebody <laughs> in That's Alabama. That's true. That's true. They did. <laughs> but, like, you know, they're, they're not going to take down Saban or anything, but unbelievably good team and UMass took them out. They also had close losses to a salty Eastern Michigan and to New Mexico, which is not as good of a team, but you know, UMass with a couple of breaks could have finished this season five and seven, you know, uh, UConn had four one score losses and hung with NC state way longer than they were supposed to. So, you know, again, weird year for them. They feel like they're kind of more competitive than the records show. Both teams finished three and nine, um, I'm not saying these are good teams by any stretch, but it, it's one of those things where, you know, we look at Bowling Green and they make manage to make bowl games and you're like, how this team is terrible, but they do. And and this felt like one of the both of these teams, I feel like could have been that sort of team this year where it's like they're not very good, but somehow they've won half their games. And and so, yeah, it's, it's, it was interesting to see sort of how do they stack up against each other and UConn over and above over and above the better team here. I can tell you exactly how uh, Bowling Green beat Georgia Tech in a football game this year. That's mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But no, I, you know, to your point, this is a game that was dormant for a long time. It comes back in 2018. Now they play it yearly, both of them being independents. UMass kind of fluctuating between are we FCS, mm -hmm. are we B FBS, and then finally mm -hmm. decide we're going to be FBS and we're going to make it work as an independent. I, I want them to keep playing. Yes. Beginning of the season, end of the season. I, I have... I will continue to bang the drum for this. This is a regional sport. Making it a national sport is going to be a challenge yep. because every program cannot be a nationally capable program. It's just not feasible financially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why most of your rivals are right next door. And Josiah talks about this all the time. You could be mad at people across the way or what have you, but it's people right next to you are the ones you're going to be in conflict with most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I want them to keep playing. That's yes. all it is. It yep. was a great game. And, you know, again, it meant a lot to them. Yes. yes. It meant a lot exactly. to these two teams. Exactly. It, it, you know, you you may not have cared, the global you, not Josiah or Jeff, but, like, <laughs> this game mattered mm -hmm. to the people who showed up and watched it. And there was a pretty good – there was a pretty good amount of people that showed up. I mean, it filled their little stadium. Mm -hmm. So, you know – I think it's great. I think it's great. Keep playing it. And I hope both teams, you know, I hope both teams see some rocketed improvement over the next five to ten mm -hmm. years. I don't know if they'll see it under Jim L. Mora, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but Look, I mean, you got to be clear because there's a junior situation there. Uh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I love 
since they changed the mascot, which they should have done a lot sooner. I love UMass's mascot, the Minutemen. It's a perfect mascot for that school. I, yep. They have a great band, as we've talked about before. Like, it's the kind of school where I'm, there are, you know, one of the, they're, they're a land grant. I mean, I, like, I look at this, I'm like, I want y'all to have good years. Like, I feel the same way about New Mexico State. I look at these schools that ha- get kind of thrown at the bottom of things and, and ignored. I'm like, I want them to have good years. I want to see UMass and UConn be a matchup of two teams fighting for a tier of bowl game that they could get. You know, like, that would be a cool thing to me. Because, I, I, you know, ever I feel like I want to... They maybe can't maintain that, but I'd love it when teams like that or Hawaii have the dream season where you win 10, 11 games and everyone's like, where did this come from? And, you know, I want to see that for both of these teams. It would be so fun. Yeah. And, uh, the, we need to assign them yeah. a trophy. <laughs> yes. And with the, the dynamics right, of college and how people view colleges mm-hmm. in the Northeast, having a showcase for both schools and things people can be proud of for yes. UConn and UMass is very important. Um, as well, UMass is in Amherst, which is in the western part of the state that is uh, much less populated than the eastern part of the state near Boston. So as, as well, having the opportunity to have a big showcase of UMass is big. It's like big for that community that Amherst really is the kind of biggest city in that area of Massachusetts. And, and we've seen in the past with the basketball team that when you can get sports rolling for UMass, it becomes something really great for Western Massachusetts that doesn't mm-hmm. always have as much to be proud of as it as it should. Minor correction. To no, myself. you're UConn is the yes. land grant. UMass is not. But that, they're still both. Great. I think you anyway. both are land grants. Are they no, both they're, both land grants. Grants. So they're both land they're grants. They're both land grants. Okay, that's where yes. I got that sideways. They're both land grants. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> All right, cool. You, you asked, we, we, we talked about this. The UMass Aggies. Yes. yes, I thought that was right. And then I was look, I was like, wait, yep. did I say that correctly? And uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. Uh, UConn. Yes, they're both land also the land Unnecessary corrections. UConn also makes some of the best ice cream I have personally ever had. It may not be as good as Purdue's. The Metro Land Grant. Purdue has ice cream. No, we talked oh, about right. this. Oh, that's right. Yes, we do. Yeah, we they, do now. They, that's right. That's yeah, right. We do. Yeah, the new right. chancellor, yes, right? Yes, the chancellor. We have ice cream we now. we about that. Creameries. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I do want to, side note, I do want to ask this. Josiah, mm-hmm. what is the creamery at Mississippi State? If, our creameries, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Um, I'll say what the claim to fame of the creamery is, though. It's called Muscadine Ripple, and they take yeah. muscadine grapes and they make it's it's super good. It's vanilla ice cream. They they swirl it through there. It's like a like that jelly. It's amazing. So yeah, the the creamery there, but the name it escapes me what it is. But it's that's it's, fine. It's I just, pretty great. Yes, I, I've had it for I've had Maryland's and I've had Yukon's. Um, I have not had North Carolina States, which I do want to get to mm, try one time. Mm-hmm, so because mm-hmm. uh, it's right in Raleigh. So one of these days we'll get there. But yes, so these two schools duked it out. This year, UConn came out on top, both in their season three and nine. They have signed up to play through 2027. So we will get this game at least for the next couple of years. That's good. It's good to have that happen. Mm -hmm. Josiah, I'll give you the last word on this if you want it. Anything you want to leave us with on UConn, UMass? No, just again, for me, it's it's I'm always a big proponent of exploring games, watching stuff that. Looking for a game and being like, I don't think anyone in the broader, more casual fan base of college football is watching this. So 
I want to watch it. What do these people care about? What makes this game fun for them? What do they enjoy? And, you know, they're both three and nine teams. There's no bowl game future for either of these for this season. And so, yeah, for me, we talk about finding the fun where you can. And sometimes I like to do that with with other teams, with teams that are not. I have no affiliation with any of these programs. Love them. Love them as an outsider. But, you know, yeah. But, yeah, I think it's fun to explore sometimes. Say, like, I don't know anything about this school. Let me watch them play a game. Great point. Talking about two schools most team people don't watch or talk about, the Air Force Academy played mm-hmm. at Boise State University up there on the Smurf turf. Jeff, this was your game. Go ahead and tell us. Tell me about it. What do we have going yeah, on? Yeah, so this was quite consequential because with a win, Boise would enter uh, a tie to then go to the Mountain West title game. <laughs> uh, we'll explain exactly what happened a bit later because it's fun. But um, Boise very much kept Air Force from having an efficient run game. And Air Force, while they did a little bit of explosiveness, the efficiency that they were denied, so they their success rate was 40%, 43rd percentile, basically kept them from doing what you want to do as a triple option team. Um, and Boise was very efficient, able to keep the ball as well as pretty explosive. They had a 51% success rate, that's 90th percentile, and then yards per play is 7.62, it's 89th percentile. So Boise was... Played their game to a T, very much prevented Air Force from playing the kind of game that they wanted. And Air Force still did enough that they were in this game for quite some time. The final score was 27-19 and uh, Air Force was threatening to come back. But they because they were behind, they really could never truly catch up. But it was, you know, still somewhat in reach. Um, but Boise then put themselves in a position to secure themselves into a three-way tie for first in the Mountain West with San Jose State, who we haven't really talked about a ton, but did it put together a really great season this year and entering that tie uh, for the Mountain West. And UNLV that has had an exceptional season with Barry Odom and Mm -hmm. Marion. Um, And so the way the Mountain West decided to do their tie break was via... Uh, an averaging of four computer ratings. That would be uh, the Anderson Hester, the Coley Matrix, the Massey, the, uh, Massey and Wolf ratings. Um, UNLV was the highest with an average rating of 44.5. They got to host. And then Boise State had a 55.75. Uh, San Jose State, 58.5. Um these are all uh, reporting from BJ Reigns of Bronco Nation News. So thank you, uh, BJ. Um, but this then will have UNLV Boise next week. But very interesting. Boise, they feel themselves are underachieving. They're fired their coach. They have an interim and they could win the conference. Um, and UNLV obviously is having a great season. Probably one of the best football seasons in quite some time. So uh, really great to see success. It I think with each of these teams having a couple losses uh, in conference and and, the, and Boise as well at seven and five, you're not necessarily going to see in the hunt for the group of five bid for uh, the New Year's Six Bowls. But still, UNLV, it's been a very long time since they won the conference. Mm-hmm. It's great to see that success. And they're a fun team to watch as well. So, uh yeah, certainly a interesting time in which this morning is when we found out who uh, who would be in that due to 
obtaining all those computer rankings at the Mountain West offices. And I was just pointing out that it has been so long since Nevada has won, or UNLV mm-hmm. has won their the current conference. They've never done it. So um, their last conference championship was the Big West Conference back in 1994. So it's been a while. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Like I've said over and over and over again, Coach uh, uh, Coach Marion, mm-hmm. Coach Brandon Marion, uh, offensive coordinator of UNLV. This guy coached at Howard. He beat UNLV uh, when he was at Howard, uh, and now he is their offensive coordinator. Great guy, great coach, and I, I just want to see him succeed. So, as long as long as they got to the championship game, I'm here for it, and I hope that they go in there. And then, since they're hosting it, I hope they win it. Brandon Marion, um, do you like cowbells and catfish, <laughs> or do you like cheese fries and boots? Which one? Which one do you like? Come on, Brandon. Mary. He did coat. He did work at Tulsa. <laughs> I mean, um, come on, come on down. Come on down. Hey, Jeff, uh, I'll give you the last word on this if you want it. Anything uh, you want to want to pause it for this game? Yeah, I'll say it. It was very interesting because Boise did not look like a team that was somehow seven and five in conference. <laughs> and yet they were um, they were kind of ruthlessly efficient and making everything work. So it'll be interesting to see because they do have talent what happens through a coaching change or whether you'd potentially keep the interim if they do win the conference it's very bizarre in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways and i don't necessarily know what way they go with with the coaching change but it's just a very weird situation they could win the conference and get a new coach next year because they fired the old (laughs) one in a year they won the conference what are you going to do? <laughs> Who knows? What are you going to do? I just want to point out that them winning this way with aid of the computers, it's very ironic considering all of their fights with the BCS all those years ago. Oh my Great gosh. job, Boise. You did it. You have become the thing you hate most. Uh, going on. Hey, I'm just, look, listen, not saying, they fought real saying. hard. They fought real hard and said computers shouldn't exist and they're holding us back and you know, we would have we would have won a national championship <laughs> with that Fiesta Bowl win if it wasn't for the computers. And well, hmm. Twenty years later, here we are. Uh, that being said, I want to move on to the game we all watched, or at least tried to watch, uh, Egg Bowl. This is your University Ooh. of Mississippi versus Mississippi State University every year on Thanksgiving. This year in Starkville, mm-hmm. so that means there were cowbills all around. Oh my god! I don't know if you know this. The NCAA rules against cowbells are not enforced in Starkville for some reason. It's because they filed a waiver and they were granted that waiver and therefore they continue to do it. But they're not going to be enforced. Uh, Josiah, this is this is your hometown. This is mm-hmm. your home stadium. Tell me about it. Tell me about the game. Tell me tell me about the, the overarching game. We'll talk about mm-hmm. the specific game. Tell me why this matters. Tell me why those cowbells come out even harder when Mississippi shows up. Tell me why... Even though this was the most high-flying offense that the University of Mississippi has ever had, they got held to 17 points when they went to Starkville. Yeah, it's uh, so you know we Egg Bowl's been talked a lot about in the sort of zeitgeist, but as a general thing, you know it's it's a very typical flagship versus land grant type of type of rivalry. You got Mississippi has a pretty good lead on the rivalry. It's not nearly as bleak as some other ones I'm closely affiliated with, but they do have quite a few wins. Um, and it's just, it's, it's bragging rights. People have described this as crabs in a bucket and that's not exactly wrong. Like very commonly the team with the most to lose loses this game or the team with the most with nothing to lose will win it. And that didn't happen this time. 
Uh, but it has happened before in the past when Mississippi State had a shot, outside shot at making the SEC Conference Championship game in 2014. They lost the Egg Bowl. And of course, they also lost to Bama. But like, you know, there are big games where, you know, Lane Kiffin, when Leach, before Leach passed, lost that Egg Bowl when he was really not supposed to. <laughs> that was not supposed to go that way. And they lost it. Um, so, you know, it. It can be that. And yeah, the cowbells, they come out, they are loud. There are rules on when to ring them, and they have signs that show you that. But I could tell from listening to the broadcast that no one was following the rules for this game, which I'm nope. fine with. Yeah, it's like, that's fine. Don't do it. It's just fine. This is what you expect. So yeah, it was great. Um, the game itself, man, yeah, I, I, I had hoped for a weird miracle. And the one thing that made me feel optimistic about it was Greg Knox, the... Uh, interim coordinator he's been interim for multiple teams twice and, and he's been interims for yeah for this for, team for this team twice yeah the first time was when mullen left and and he went in there and he beat lamar jackson's louisville <laughs> sorry sure louisville. Did. he beat louisville and it was incredible i mean like you know that didn't they had ga's running position groups in that game if you ever want to go back and watch it there were procedural plays because you're like this this guy's 24 and he's in charge of the 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 dbs <laughs> like this is not a coach uh, perfect game yeah it perfect, was, it, it, perfect was it was fun it was fun to watch but he you know rode out on a four-wheeler which people were like why is he doing that and i'm like why <laughs> wouldn't he do that you know like this is mississippi state y'all why wouldn't we ride out on a four-wheeler <laughs> this man is he's he's so country when he speaks to it's perfect he's just a perfect coach for this team interim wise oddly enough he's running backs coach for one of the best running backs in school history, Booby Dixon or Anthony Dixon. Um, and so, you know, hopefully whoever they hire next will keep him around. If they don't, that person is, is, is foolish. So yeah, Greg Knox, great guy. Um, sad to see his undefeated record go, uh, go down, but you know, he's still, he's still doing, doing pretty good. And yeah, it was, it was not the result that I wanted, but you know, yeah, I, they, they yeah, the defense did play pretty well. Um, all things considered. And, you know, the offense looked like it's looked all year. It's it just mystifying play calling. I don't even, you know, going run first, you can go run first and not do whatever it was that we've been doing all year. Like I liked the initial start of it when we were playing lower competition, you get results you like, but it has been a weird, it, the offensive scheme, the play calling has been counterproductive to say the least. So, um, and it's what got Zach Arnett fired. So, you know, like, it was the same in this game. It was just bizarre. I don't know what they what that guy is trying to do. I don't understand. And and it didn't work in this game either. And uh, Mississippi State had an outside chance at a bowl berth anyway because we're really high in APR rankings. Uh, but that, you know, that didn't happen. I think we're the first one out. Um, so, you know, and that ends the bowl streak, which is, you know, what happens. These things tend to happen. I do want to go over to Jeff. Let's actually talk about the game itself. Yes. You've got a note here about defensive lines. What did what did you see in this game, and what made you write this specific? Yeah, so apparently in the first half, nobody really successfully moved the ball on the ground, mm -hmm. um, and I think that correct for Mississippi State that was something they were really trying to do, um, and Ole Miss that was kind of the only thing that they were really able to do they couldn't get things going through the air for um reasons we'll discuss in a second but that essentially meant nothing was going on they were trying really hard to end up with a nil nil draw here um and yeah you look at your um and so you know that really 
condensed the game. Later on, uh, Mississippi did have more success on the grounds. So they ended up with uh, 0.11 EPA per rush by the end of the game compared to Mississippi State's negative uh, 0.13. But it took a little while for that to get going. And again, there really wasn't anything happened in the air. Jackson Dart should have gone out with an injury. Um, yep. Should have. Yep. And I think there are some questions for procedure on why that didn't occur, as well as mm-hmm. the fact that then he was trying to play while absolutely not 100%, and he did not have a good good day. He was 14 of 26 with 96 yards. He looked like that's a... He, yeah. Go ahead, Josiah. Yeah, yeah. Not to cut you, but I mean, yeah, he looked concussed. I, I'm not a medical expert, but he he looked like he had gotten fully knocked out on a play and looked concussed. And like, you know, obviously I wanted us to win, but he's not the reason they won. So wanting him out of that game has nothing to do with winning or losing. This guy went out and played after probably getting knocked out and probably getting concussed, and that sucks. You shouldn't do that to a player ever. Like that's no. Like, come on. I mean, and, and they have Spencer Sanders, who I've made jokes about, but he's not a terrible QB and you can go and put him on a leash out there and win the game. It was it was big really, 12 champion Spencer. Yeah. Sanders. Yeah. I mean, it's not that he's bad. He's just inconsistent sometimes. And you don't have to go out there. You know, your defense was locking Mississippi State down. There was no reason to play him and no n- none at all. And it was really even if you're losing that game, there's no reason to play him. But especially with how it looked yeah, like just I was I was frustrated for them for that that this guy went out there and did that it just didn't make any sense to me he should not have been playing after that hit like for his own sake not not because I not game aside they could have won by 100 I do not want to see dart out there after he clearly lost consciousness on the field no, you're absolutely right. And this gets back to my my continuum pounding the table for safety within the game. We have to protect our players. These are these are people who are putting themselves and their bodies on the line for the sport. I really do believe this. It may not happen now. It may not happen in five. It may not happen in 10 years. But if the sport continues to be this hazardous to the health of its players, this sport will cease to exist. I will continue to pound that drum. I don't want the game to go away. I want the game to be safer. I don't have any answers. So for everyone who's saying, well, what are we going to do? I don't have the answer to that. I know that anything I suggest, the people asking me, what are we going to do? Are going to resist that. And they're going to tell me, you're just wanted to make it sissified or whatever is the argument du jour. But what I can assure you is if you continue to watch name brand players, people who can point out on the field and say, Jackson Dart, starting quarterback for the University of Mississippi, the flagship school in the state of Mississippi, just got a concussion and was sent back out there to play. It's going to make any parent go, I don't know if I want my son to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's going to be someone who's, oh, well, they're always going to want to play. And I'm like, I don't know, man. If you look at youth participation, a cliff is coming. There is a drastic fall off that we know is coming. Both by demographics, by population and participation. And it is going to have irreparable harm to the sport. And I just worry that we're not taking that seriously. And if we don't make the game safer, fewer people will participate. That is the ugly reality. 
So food for thought. Maybe one day we'll actually, Jeff, the executive <laughs> chef of production, maybe you can get us one of those experts to come on <laughs> and we can have that conversation. But I can I can tell you this and I make, you know, Josiah is always imploring me to do more physics, the physics minute yes, on every please. show. And I can tell you this, <laughs> every football play, every football play at a minimum is being is like being in a car accident at 25 miles an hour at a minimum. The safest football play, every one of them is exactly like that, is if your body is engaged in what would otherwise be you being in a car and hitting another car at 25 miles an hour. And if you did that once, you might be okay. Your seat belt, your seat belt will protect you. Your car will crumple, but you won't be hurt. Your airbag may deploy. But I can assure you, if you drove your car seven days a week and every day you got into... 10 to 20, 25 mile per hour car accidents, it will do serious harm to your body. Mm -hmm. Because what is happening is you are experiencing a complex, it's not really that complex. You are experiencing a series of forces in a number of directions at a number of accelerations on the human body, which is a fragile thing. And it is affecting your internals as well as your externals. If we want that to continue to happen, we need to make the game as safe as physically possible because Jackson Dart wasn't the only quarterback that got concussed during this weekend of play. Mm-hmm. And I really I have grave concerns for that. Um, that being said, I watched Mississippi State's defense. They played lights out. I that was championship level defense from Mississippi State. They held they held a Maserati to 25 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to give them credit for it to their to, to Mississippi's credit. They held Mississippi State to seven points. Got to give them credit for it. Mm-hmm. The game turned into the game turned into a fight inside a phone booth, which I I love when that happens. When it's like we know you're going to try to score a hundred points, we're not going to let you. <laughs> so if you want to beat us, it's going to be with less than twenty one. And you don't like it, and we don't like it, and we're all here, and we don't like it together. But enjoy <laughs> these cowbells, and I I love it. I, mm-hmm. I love the game. I I these are two schools that you know I I. I love when they play each other because it matters to them. And this goes back to what I said about the University of Massachusetts that mattered to this fan base. This game mattered to both of these fan bases. Mississippi could have said, we don't care about you. You've got five wins. But they didn't because it mattered. And they played real hard against a team that only had five wins. Mm -hmm. And the team that had five wins said, well, we don't care that you might go. We don't care that you had a top 12 ranking. We're going to play you like you're going to play you like a high school scrimmage. And I'm. I loved it. I I am glad that Josiah shared this with me. I'm glad the state of Mississippi shared this with me. And you know what? Congratulations to the University of Mississippi, and we'll see what happens next year. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I know you wanted to speak, so I apologize for stepping over you a couple times there. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it was exactly the game you you expect and you you want for this rivalry. (laughs) And yeah, I think going in, you would not expect as tough of a defensive battle and that's what it turned into be so uh also jackson dart you should name with the star wars rabbit <laughs> i've been thinking that I... every time i see you as a as a player and i just want to share that with the audience some sad news uh starting quarterback four-year starter at the at mississippi state university i believe will rogers is his name mm. he's going to be transferring yep uh, jeff had noted that so thank you for pointing that out jeff um 
Josiah, why don't you tell us about Will Rogers? I mean, he set every record the SSC possibly had, including something like 650 yards against what should have been a decent LSU team. And then turned out we were all overestimating how good they were. Uh, Talk about it. Tell me about it. What what you got here? Yeah, um, I think that may have been a different guy. I think that was Costello that set that record. But I mean, could be. But he was he was on that team and he's you know, he's a yeah, he's he's statistically the best quarterback in school history. I will, I will, I don't, we do this too, people do this too much, but the air raid scheme that Latron skews that a little in a certain way, but it still counts. He still threw for so many yards, tons of touchdowns, eclipsed Dak Prescott, very good quarterback, like genuinely can spin it. And so this year it seemed like there was something that was off. And when you watch him in a system like the air raid that relies on him being so in tune with the wide receivers that were, that really puts a ton of pressure on him as a quarterback to make the throws on time in certain ways. Um, and and then this year he looks lost. Like that was a problem with the OC, not with the player. And it's I don't think it was, again, the scheme didn't make sense. He got the short end of the stick in, in a lot of ways this year. I, you can go run centric and still have a nice, robust passing game. And that just did not happen in the way it should have this year. Um, so when you take him off a leash and let him cook, he can cook really well. And I'm happy for him. I hope he finds a great place to land. I really do. I mean, even if it's not one of my teams, you know, if it's some, some random school up in Indiana that wears, you know, gold and black, I mean, wherever he wants to go, he can go, you know, right. And, and so, but I'm in all seriousness, like I, I, I wish him the best. Um, I also wonder if the coaching turnover was just at this point, he was just like, look, I, I, you know, coaching staff, it was not going to be anything like what I came in here with. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna head out and, and it's fine. I, you know, I think most Mississippi state fans, some will be a little bit sad by this, but I think everybody kind of gets it. We're like, yeah, best of luck, young man. hope you have a great season next year where, wherever you land, I think it'll be good. But yeah, I, he's a good quarterback and whoever gets him will be in a really good space, especially if they allow his talents to shine and don't hold him back. Like we did this year. Yeah. That's one thing that surprised me. He was there for you. Barnett is just trying trying to force a square peg into a round hole for a lot of, mm-hmm. of scheme rather than working with the ingredients that were there on what was working successfully. And yeah, it doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me. It's like, well, I don't want to go through this question mark again where I might not be the right fit. And I think that yeah. Arnett doing that was surprising and it doesn't surprise me as much that he got fired because if you're trying to continuously make things work when it's obvious there that isn't what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably not a good long term head coach or, or someone that maybe needs to reevaluate and get a chance at a different level. So it will be interesting how whether or not what pieces are currently there also mm-hmm. factor into the current coaching search or and kind of how how that goes and that's obviously developing as we speak so we'll kind of see how that how that impacts it as well as if there are players that say hmm this doesn't what you're describing doesn't fit my skill set and they do move elsewhere well wish him the very best mm-hmm. and he gave four years to mississippi state yep. Klinger, i think you're you're standing on the precipice best of luck in all your future endeavors, Josiah, I know you wanted to mention it. There is a search going on. Mm-hmm. I think we'll leave it at that. Yep. That's about, yeah, that's all we need to say at the moment. 
Understood. I do want, uh, Jeff, I, I did this for you. Yes. I will give you 45 seconds. <laughs> do not do not get us a mature rating here, but tell me about the old oaken bucket. That was a tough game to watch, I will say. It, oh, my gosh. It was probably closer than we wanted, really wanted it to be. And I think a lot of that is our offensive line was terrible. Uh, IU had a 16% havoc rate. That's 83rd percentile. Uh, Hudson Card was running for his life, but the good news is he has legs and used them, and that was a huge part of uh, Purdue winning. And I'll say both teams were moving the ball pretty decently throughout the game. Um, Dinaman was also able to get a pick, and IU turned the ball over three times on interceptions in that game, which helped us a lot. Sure did. Sure did. And so <laughs> it was it sure did. IU probably should have run away with that game, but we kind of were able to with with those interceptions and keep that close. We probably should have done more off of turnovers, but we didn't have to win. Uh, Coach Walters gets a bucket one in his first year. Not necessarily how we wanted this year to go, but we'll we'll see how things uh, go in the next couple of years. And in particular, when we can strengthen that offensive line. I have a question yeah, for you, I hear Jeff, because I don't know enough about the old oaken bucket. I should know more. Is with with the Egg Bowl, that is a season saving win. You could go have a bad year, win that game, and it sort of saves the season. Where does the old oaken bucket sit in that continuum of like kind of matters a bit versus like this is its own like one game season of sorts? To an extent, particularly when both teams are struggling, it can be a one-game season, and, and very often mm-hmm. for one or both of the teams, a bowl win will come down to that game, particularly mm. when you're kind of two of the historic have-nots in football in the Big Ten, and kind of Indiana is not the most talent-rich state. You are not the historic programs that can pull as well from other places, it it can be this is one of the few things that you can really fight for. I say it's a little more laid back than I think the Egg Bowl is. Um, mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't matter. It really matters. But it's a little more laid back because both IU and Purdue have such big basketball histories that that is what people uh-huh. focus on in the emotions of everything where where it's not Mm -hmm. everything because you also have the basketball uh that takes up a lot of attention and a lot of emotion within the state and people do go crazy over that i mean purdue has had very good basketball seasons uh overall and then also lost to iu and that's really worn on on people um and while painter's been there for a very long time on, on the Purdue side, there have been some anxieties that have come out of that. And, and I use also had a lot of coaching turnover uh, within the time that Purdue's been very stable. I want to point this out. Um, <clears throat> this is for our, our advanced stats folks, which we get from Game on Paper, still the best website for hard numbers and hard mm-hmm. data science that we have for college football um, in this game. Final score, 31-35, Purdue, uh, 31 points for Indiana. Indiana had an EPA of minus 6.13. 
for their offense. So they hurt their offense by minus six points throughout the course of this game, but the, t- the total course of this game, and that was the difference in the game. Um, so I, I think... I think I want to see Purdue get back to where they were at with Brom. I don't know what that's going to be or what that's going to look like, but winning the old Oaken bucket is a good way to do that. Uh, are they playing Notre Dame next year, Jeff? I'm not sure if you know that. Do let me bring up because if they do Let's play the schedule game, that's another opportunity. Let's all play the schedule game. Uh, so we, yes. Uh, Hey, there we go. <laughs> Open the season. So, uh, with I keep Indiana track. State and then oh, yes. Notre Dame and Ross Aide and then travel to Corvallis. <laughs> and that is our non-conference schedule. Uh, obviously, Indiana State FCS team, that shouldn't be too troubling. But go Sycamores. Notre Dame. While at home, always a tra- uh, challenging game. And then at. Corvallis with a long travel. Oof. I guess Oregon State's in a little bit of up in the air situation with the head coach moving on, but still coming off a very good season. And also, yeah. I think that's going to be very salty given the conference realignment. Yeah, you'll get to play that coach later in the year on Saturday, November 23rd, mm-hmm. when you all head to East Lansing. It's, so, but it's exciting it, to enjoy see it. Three I of guess. the three of the four teams in Indiana are playing each other though on this schedule. And it's really exciting to see like you got Indiana State, Purdue, Indiana. Uh, Butler doesn't play y'all in football, but I mean that's three of four. That's a pretty Ball great, State. Ball, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Ball so State. Th- three of the five. So you know it's uh, it yeah. I mean this is great. I love it when teams in state play each other. I I know I have complicated feelings about Bedlam, but you know I think we should always play Tulsa. I think we should always play other teams, and I, I it's cool to see. The Indiana schools playing each other, too. Yeah, agreed. I'm excited for it. Uh, you're going to have to let us know which of these games you're going to get to go to. <laughs> yes, because I am the one talking and I can just mute Jeff. I'm going to send you to watch them play Northwestern. <laughs> don't know how it's going to go. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, Jose, I, I don't think I've got plans for next fall. Really, I mean, my plan was to go, try and get to the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game and potentially try to get to the uh, go to Corvallis. Mm-hmm. It's a good town. That'd be great. If you don't go to Corvallis, you can just go watch the Ducks when they come to Ross Aid, which <laughs> whew, that should be fun. Get me a picture of the uniforms. <laughs> uh I see a note here, something about people moving on to the next round, Josiah. Walk me through that. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, next rounds we've got teams that I'm tracking. We got Oklahoma State, of course, is playing in the Big Twelve Championship by the skin of their teeth. Correct. But tracking the D3 and D2 playoffs. D3, my own personal brooding interest, Wartburg, is on to the next round. And D2, Congrats. Colorado School of Mines, is on to the next round. They seem still look like the favorite to win it all. Um, Bimbinji State did get beaten this weekend, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it's what happens. Um, but, yeah, we got M- Mines, our, you know, the uh, the Bronco, or uh, not the Bronco, he's a it's a donkey he's a mule. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, still, he's still going strong, so hoping for the Mines to get it. Get it all this year. It'd be great for them. Their program has been good for a long, long time. Finally getting there. We're going to move on to dessert, Mm -hmm. if everyone's ready. Jeff, you've got a nice dessert here, and I'm going to let you set the table, and then we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Ohio State. There are some anxieties there 
because in spite of Ryan Day beating literally every <laughs> other Big Ten team, he's now lost three in a row to Michigan. And there are some anxieties. Uh, I don't think that they're actually going to pull the trigger and fire him. But weirder things have happened. And other uh, fine institutions like Auburn have literally hired people based on have they beaten the head coach of our biggest rival? So we're going to play a fun game of here are some people that have beaten Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I'm going to start reading off some names and, and see your reactions. Uh, Sonny Dykes. Mm. Yeah, all right. I mean, that's I mean, yeah. so, so, <laughs> sources, uh, citation needed, but whatever. <laughs> so carry on yeah pete carroll mm-hmm. sure he's busy right now but he sure. also <laughs> lost to him quite a bit in college which is That's very funny true, yeah. pete sure carroll's did. owned the nfl he side lost three out of four harbaugh's owned the uh, the uh college side of that side yeah. of that uh mm-hmm. matchup chip kelly it's true yeah sure he's also uh he may not be as busy next week, but yes. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, man. Uh, we got Brother John. <laughs> sure, he could. T- he, I think it'd be great for him. That would be hilarious, though. Like the in-family brothers at the that the rival schools. And, I mean, I'm yeah, that'd be that'd be hilarious. I'd love to see Thanksgiving. Uh, the head coach of your 2014 Chicago Bears that did have a 28 to 20 victory over uh, the 49ers, Mark Tressman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Guy who finished at the bottom of the NFC South, uh, NFC North that season, Mark Tressman. Yep. Uh, these are all serious, Wonderful. serious names. Uh, Tom Allen, who who netted a win in 2020 over Michigan. Uh, yeah, that was that great year with with a 10 win 10 win Indiana, right? Yeah. Or nine Windiana. He's available now, too. And now they can't get rid of him. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll work uh, out. We also have got Kyle Winningham at Utah. Who won uh, in Harbaugh's first game in Ann Arbor. Okay. Paul Christ, who had yeah. wins in 2017, <laughs> 2019, and 2020 over Harbaugh in Michigan with a 3-3 three and three overall record against Harbaugh at Michigan. Uh, currently unemployed so okay okay i'm 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 interested you have my attention dan mullen yes 2018 (laughs) peach bowl victor dan mullen sure oh my gosh Uh, i love it he loves being on tv i don't think he's moving but yeah i mean you know it would be fun though it would be fun I will say that. It, it would and Blue, you've got a suggestion given uh, Ohio State has hired FCS coaches for great success before. Correct. So if you guys don't know this, former head coach of the football team, uh, Tressel, Jim Tressel, who also previously uh, after that job was uh, the president of Youngtown State University. Um, hope I'm saying their name right. If I'm not, I apologize to the Penguins. Um, so they have hired FCS coaches before. I am recommending Coach Willie Simmons of FAMU who is currently in his bid to win the SWAC next week. We'll be watching the SWAC championship game. I think he should get a call from Ohio State, and they should call him up to be the head coach. of. I will add I will add the word the to whenever I say Ohio State <laughs> if they hire Willie Simmons. So 
You hear that, Ohio oh State? Gosh. I will. If you've ever noticed, I don't say it because you will not tell me how to speak First Amendment rights and all that jazz. But you bring in Willie Simmons and you hire him to be the head coach. I'll say it. I'll do it. If you don't, I won't. Problem. So there we have an Ohio State fans. I'm committing to it. Easy. Straightforward. These are the coaches Committed. that you should fire Ryan Day and hire. Go get, yep, go get, that's you, right. Go get you, Paul Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I would love it. God, oh, they that would hate be, that so much. So funny. They would hate oh, that my so God. much. Turn Ohio State into Wisconsin. They'd hate that so much. Mm-hmm. They both were red, red-ish. It's not red-like. The, they're, they're basically the same school. <laughs> same school. I don't, you know, I don't see the difference here. Don't see any differences at all. None at all. Um, none at all. So. That's going to be it for the dessert, unless we've got any other suggestions. Turning it over to our executive chef of production, Jeff. Welcome back. Who do? What do you think? What do you think if you were to ask, if we could poll our listeners, what do you think the most important question would be for you since you've gotten back from Europe? I feel like it's very similar to what you already asked about uh, food. Or okay. best thing I ate. Uh... Okay. Then we've already answered it. Uh, ask us on on social media, which Josiah, our head chef of social media, will tell you. Um, but next week, I'm going to be watching the Pac-12 Championship, which is being played on a Friday in Las Vegas. And then I'll also be watching the SWAC Championship, which mm-hmm. is going to be played um, the next day, the Saturday after. So very excited about that. We've got your Florida Agricultural Mechanical University Rattlers playing the Prairie View A&M because in Texas, A&M don't have any meaning. Uh, the Prairie View A&M Panthers, they're going to be playing a football game and the winner gets to go to the Celebration Bowl against my Howard University Bison. Mm-hmm. Um, Josiah, who are you watching next week? And I, I probably will be covering the Big 12, but I want to see New Mexico State versus Liberty. I don't think they're... I don't think the Aggies are going to win that game, but I'd like to see. It. I do. I, I would like. To I see sure it. do. <laughs> I, I think I think they have a better chance than Vegas gives them for sure. Um, and then I'm also going to be watching Wartburg versus uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. Wisconsin Whitewater has been a very good program for a while. And uh, so Wartburg will have their hands, have their uh, work cut out for them. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope I hope it will go well. Yeah, I uh, I want to point out Jerry Kill should be coach of the year. Oh my gosh! And, indeed, uh, indeed, and full sincerity. And yes. Since since I don't since I just completely reject the committee's existence and uh, don't want to don't care if they pick three exhibition games, I say New Mexico State hang a banner because uh, they're the they're my national. Team. They're so Jeff. Yeah. They're so good, Jeff. Who are you watching next week? Yeah, I'm still I'm still debating this. SMU Tulane. Let's do it. Uh, there we go. Let's do it. Let's there do it. There it is. I think there it is. I have Ponies watched versus water. probably less Tulane than I honestly should have this. Yes, you have. Past, That's because I've been watching this Tulane past all year. year. Mm-hmm. They're really and good. I, yeah, I, say, I, good. I think it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the Cooper 5 New Year 6 shakes out. I think mm-hmm. I know I've watched a lot of Mountain West. Uh, I kind of would like to see Tulane to do do a comparison there. I'll probably check in on on some of their games. That'll be, I think, depending on how things shake out this weekend, that'll be a really contentious debate for next Sunday. And not for me. I say put them all in. Um, yeah, that, that's I would right. Say no this. SEC Tulane teams, is excellent. Ten teams. Just let's all 
All G5 yep. in the playoff. Yep. That's right. Yep. That's what we should All do. All G5. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Go make your Super League. Don't care. Um, <laughs> I would say this. I have watched SMU's offense. If you like points, Woo-hoo. I like points. SMU can do it. Tulane has a single loss on their record, and it's the University of Mississippi. This is a good football team. Willie Fritz is a great coach. Mm-hmm. This is going to be it. This is going to be one heck of a game. I'm happy you watch it because I'm going to be watching it too. Um, Tulane, can you can you go back to back? SMU, can you win and take this championship with you when you leave? So I'm excited for it. We're all going to be watching the Big 12 championship game, supporting Oklahoma State University and the Pokes against some small school in the capital of Texas. Um, and it's not the University of Austin, which I guess doesn't exist. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> one team wears orange. The other team wears white and what looks like slightly more charred orange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they left it on the grill so too long. Yeah. They left it on the grill a little too long. Not sure what's going to happen here. Not going to make any predictions, but it would make me very happy if – if Coach Gundy gets to stand up there and say, well, we're happy to see them leave and we're happy to play him, but we'll keep the trophy right here and still war. That would make me That'd happy. Be very fun. He won't do it. He'll say something different. Maybe he'll make somebody mad. But um, I, Oklahoma State, do this for me because I want you guys to be the champions and I want a sad Longhorns team to head to <laughs> SEC. Um, and they can take their less shiny orange with them when they go because the world's brightest orange is in Stillwater. Um, we're going to be monitoring Boise State at UNLV for that championship mm-hmm. out in the Mountain West. I'm supporting Coach Marion. I, I make no apologies Same. for yeah. it. But uh, Coach Marion, get you get you a head coach job with this game. That's all I can say. Run the score up. Get you a head coaching job with this game. Uh, there are going to be multiple games played at, at, at Las Vegas, UNLV Stadium. So I think the Raiders are out of town, but the – the Pac-10, excuse me, Pac-12, and the Mountain West are both playing their championship Which I'm going to have so, uh, lots of use. I kind of want to talk about this for, for a second. This makes this makes no yeah, yeah. sense to what me. What you got? All right. So the Mountain West, uh, that is Saturday at 3 Eastern. That will be one local. Um, these are both Mountain Time Zone uh, schools, so that will be 1 o'clock for those, those teams. Oregon and Washington are... Mm, hold on, hold on. No, no. Uh, UNLV is is Pacific time. Oh. Las Vegas right. is, in, is Sorry. in West Coast time. It's noon local. Sorry. Uh, yeah. It'll be one for Boise, but but noon in Las Vegas. Um, also in Vegas, we have Oregon and Washington. These are both Pacific time <laughs> zone schools. They kick off at 8 Eastern, which is 5 local, or 5 for either of those... Um, five for in in Vegas. Do they want people to not watch this game? Yeah, I think that's right. They've typically not wanted like, people to watch it. Yes, typically. like is the goal oh to not have fans of these teams be able to watch their game or show up in person, which would make it a more enjoyable watching experience as a neutral. Who, yeah, I'll watch it at eight Eastern on a Friday. I don't necessarily have other things going on, but like. Who are you doing this for? Is, is this just yeah, to combat the idea that sports writers aren't yeah. watching your games because they're too late? Is that why you make it impossible for your actual fans to watch your games? Like, just do this. This should be on Saturday, unless the idea is you don't want to be drowned out by the other championship games. But, like, who cares? Also, this is... If you put this at 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, this is more relevant to the national title picture, the Michigan playing Iowa. 
people will watch it who aren't Listen. affiliated with Michigan or Iowa. Listen, and I, I will say this. I, for a long time, did not like the idea of on-campus postseason games for a variety of reasons. But I have now started to come around on that. Mm -hmm. This game should be on campus. This game should be played in Seattle. Yep. I have come around. I was wrong for championship games. Completely fine with it. At this point, it's like, fine. You know what? This game should be in Seattle. Washington should have home field advantage. Because if you're going to have to play them twice, you should have to play them at home if if you beat them the first time. So I get it. I understand. Maybe with tradition of like Texas and, o- and Oklahoma State, I guess they're going to play that game. Is that game in Jerry World? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's in really Arlington, sure. I think. Yeah. That's that's already home state advantage for, yeah, the, tech, yeah. for the Texas Longhorns. But so at least don't understand. At least it's there. within the Big 12 footprint. There are no there are no pack whatever teams in Nevada at all. And that's yeah, just I'll say, like, hey, let's put our office in state where we have no real need to have presence. Let's do that. Like, that's great. Yeah. Who is this for? Well, their office is in San Francisco, ain't it? No, they moved it to know. Las Vegas, I thought. I'm, uh, if I could answer your question, Jeff, <laughs> this is for ESPN. I don't know. ESPN oh, made gosh. them do this. That's what happened. <sighs> mm-hmm. This is for ESPN. Because if you notice... The Big Ten is at the same time as kickoff as the is the ACC. Also, because they know no one's going to watch the ACC championship game if Michigan's playing. They know. And again, this is my issue with private corporations dictating to public institutions how they should operate. So you'll hear this and other opinions that we share uh, in, uh, in the offseason. So I'm going to turn it over to our executive staff of production for that. Jeff... It's good to have you back. Uh, what is something you want to lead to people? So with? I'm going to do a reminder, as always, in the show notes. We will have a fundraising link for my run in mm-hmm. January, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more condensed of a menu this upcoming week, but it means that you've got a better chance to be able to watch everything. So unless you want to watch Iowa and Michigan play while FSU takes on Louisville. Then you can't because they're on at the same time. But oh, so you can flip back and forth, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll say we are we are reaching the tail end of the season, and uh, uh, we'll we'll be. I say we abolish the committee. Um, go ahead, I mean, I don't sorry. disagree with I, that. I we can we can replace really you. Day, the, the committee <laughs> is like easily the committee. replaced with a bunch of sports writers and computers that are transparent in how they work and also transparent in the calculation between them and aren't like 12 people in a hotel room. And we don't have to worry about paying 12 people to sit in a fancy hotel room and rack up hotel and airline points. Um, And members of the committee, you won't have American airlines lose your luggage for like 15 hours. So think about that. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I will, if you can get someone from the committee to come on this (laughs) podcast, I will be cordial <laughs> because I think they should be replaced with everyone just claiming national championship. If they come on this podcast, I will not be cordial. I will play the bad cop. We'll, That's we, fine. We're gonna have. A I'll fight. be nice. We're gonna have a fight, man. Like, I if they come on, I will They're, entirely make jokes about Marriott rewards. Uh, oh, points and airline point uh, strategies I'm, because that's what it seems the point of the committee is. Don't care. I just don't think they should exist. Mm. Josiah, executive chef of social media, 
where can people find us outside of here this podcast? <laughs> we have a presence on uh, Instagram threads. We're also on Blue Sky and Twitter. As I say every week, if you want to talk to us directly, you hit us up there. Um, we try to respond to folks and have you know some fun dialogue with people whenever you know for when we're on, when we're on there. And it you know if you and again if you want to talk to one of us specifically, you can just say like, hey. Jeff, I, I was wondering what you thought about X and then Jeff will respond or, you know, blue or me or whatever. If you ask us specifically, or if you just want to talk to one of us, you just add the account or reply to something and we will, we will definitely get back to you. So, um, Ben, you know, of course, hail state, go pokes, baby. Going to the championship. I will say, I will say this for the person who now currently holds the old oaken, old bucket. oaken bucket. Um, but, uh, uh, boiler up and Indiana word. Um, I will say the same thing I say every year. And it's very simply that this is the best regular season in all of sports. It matters the most. And there are games at the end that matter more than any other game that will be played by that team. Um, and it's something that I personally love about this sport rivalry week is always fun because that's where the wildest things happen we didn't get into it because we meant to but the iron bowl <laughs> happened and it was the wildest 60 oh seconds of football gosh. that could possibly happen over the course of a game so jeff i'm going to tell you this because i know we're running out of time and we'll do a deeper dive on this because this needs to this needs to be studied. it deserves its own podcast <laughs> it deserves right. its own episode but auburn gets a stop Minute and 20 seconds left. Alabama punts. Auburn muffs the punt. (laughs) Yep. They punt to win. Auburn muffs the punt. Alabama recovers. They are in the red zone. They get first and goal. On first and goal, pass incomplete. Second and goal, Jalen Milrow runs downfield. Looks, sees the referee and that he's gone past the line of scrimmage, steps back behind the line of scrimmage, throws a pass. That's a penalty. They conference because they got to talk about this. Every time I can't believe it. They talk about it. Nick, what the And the outcome is. Oh, yeah. Nick. Hold on. Hold on. They conference and they say illegal forward pass. Down is consumed. Third down. So now they're 10 yards back and they're at the 20. Oh, no. Milrow is checking at the line because he doesn't like what he sees. Center snaps the ball and he doesn't just like kind of roll it to him or, oh, man, trouble with the snap. He launches the ball past (laughs) Jalen Milrow and the ball goes back another 10 yards. (laughs) And every Auburn, there was an Auburn player that got his hand on the ball recovered by Alabama. So now they're at their they're at the 31. Surely it is fourth and goal. The Auburn Tigers not so snake bitten that something really, really unlikely is about to happen here. Yes, both teams call timeout. Um, Never ice yourself. Don't do it. No, no. Well, Alabama had to call timeout because the clock was running because it was a live ball. Right. That was a running play. So they had to they had to stop the clock. Auburn sees the play and Hugh Freeze calls timeout. I see the formation on this. And this is the most the most outrageous thing about this play is that Auburn 
has a three-man rush and drops eight. Okay. The center isn't blocking because the defensive tackle is in a spy. Okay. And the two defensive <laughs> rushing ends are on contain. So there's no pass rush on fourth and 31. Fourth That's and game. Bold. That's a lot of faith in uh, your secondary. The defensive tackle didn't even rush. I'm telling All you, right. you, didn't rush 31, and the ends contained. 31 yards and you got a QB spy. I mean, I just can't. I just can't. Oh my gosh. After that happens, they dropped eight in the back of the the back corner of the back of the end zone as far as could legally be thrown. So this is 31 yards to the end line, to the goal line, and then 10 more yards. So 41 yard pass on a frozen rope. Uh, Milrow throws a per- Jalen Milrow throws a perfect pass that is caught in the end zone for a touchdown. And that receiver with the was, was he double covered or anything? No. <laughs> in fact, the safety had his back to the quarterback and didn't ever once turn to find the ball. <laughs> oh man! Touchdown, Alabama! Extra point, good. Up twenty-four-seven. On the ensuing drive, kickoff is fielded four yards deep in the end zone. Decides to bring it out, gets stopped at the ten. First and goal, or to be first and 10 from the 10, Auburn lines up. Incomplete pass. Second and 10 from the 10. Auburn sack, fumble into the end zone. Tackle, offensive tackle, picks the ball up, runs the, tries desperately to get the ball out of the end zone, gets the ball to the two. Live ball, running play, clock's running, wide receivers downfield, everyone has to run back. Running out of time. With two seconds left, everyone gets lined up. Play is snapped at the one. Auburn's now running to the play to try to get downfield. Throws the ball. Pick. Pick is being returned. He breaks a tackle. He engages another defender. Breaks that tackle. Runs it to the end zone. Score lights up. Everyone is booing. The crowd's going nuts. All play is stopped. Because the referee has started talking to the audience. So everyone quiets down. Auburn is hoping they're about to get it untied down for a penalty. Auburn is told some good news. Touchdown doesn't count. Alabama player stepped out of bounds at the five. The game is over and the referees hightail it off the field. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man. Uh, It's such an iron ending. Oh my gosh. Perfect ending. Perfect ending. So I know that that Auburn Jesus is a thing, but... uh, Y'all might need yep. to reconsider which deities you're praying to. Ha- have you considered? They might. Athena, Vishnu, Cthulhu. Cthulhu would be very on brand for Auburn. Congratulations, Hugh Freeze. You've done it again. <laughs> They've done it again. I My just... man is consistent. What's wild to me is that while he was the head coach of Mississippi, they beat Alabama twice in consecutive years. He was the head coach of Mississippi for four. Was he there four years before he got fired? Or something six, like that. Yeah. yeah, I think it was. Yeah, four ish. Yeah. He also lost two games to to, to to Nick Saban, and they were both blowouts. Mm-hmm. I just whatever he he lost a heartbreaker. May he continue to lose. Oh, I wish they would have hired Cadillac. And he continues to lose to Jerry Kill, who is coach of the year. Listen, when we do our because this is week twelve, and now that week or excuse me, week thirteen, and it's over after championship week. Next week we're doing season awards. Oh yeah, uh, uh, because I, I, I'm doing this. Jerry Kill is my coach of the year, I, I'm, and he's on that short list. Write that. In I pen. just write that. In I'm writing it in marker. pen. 
because I love I love Lance Leipold. I think DeBoer is a great coach. Mm-hmm. I think all these guys are great. But what Kill is doing, aside from all the things that may or may not have happened or whatever this season, you took the Aggies and you took them to ten wins. I I don't know what else you want from that man. He's, I don't know what else you want from he's him. He's yeah. killing it. He's killing it out there. So I'll say New Mexico State. He's proud been, of you. He's good job, Aggies. Tremendous success, particularly in all of mm-hmm. the, all of the places are places that don't normally win. He established them as a winning culture. Did that at uh, two level? Did that at NIU? Did that at Minnesota mm-hmm. before he retired for health reasons? He's doing that in Mexico State. None of this should surprise anybody. Yeah, correct. He's a great coach. Amazing. And there's a video of him eating an ice cream bar in a snowstorm in a blizzard in Minnesota. And I love it. Great coach. Um, so I we'll do this next week. I tell everybody the same thing. Best regular season in all of football and all of sports. Love it to pieces. I understand people love playoffs in America because apparently that's how we have to do things and we can't do anything different. Because if we did, we couldn't take it seriously. Doesn't matter. These are all exhibition playoffs. Are None overrated. of them really count. There are no round na- robin or death. There are no national champions. Round robin. There are or no national death. champions at division FBS football bowl <laughs> subdivision. Hey, not even round robin. You want to know? You want to know a sport in America that doesn't have a, a playoff system? Boxing. <laughs> So we have a lot of sports that don't do playoffs. Okay, we fine. should absolutely Anyways, do the national title is just a belt and you just got to beat the previous national title holder. There used to be, I'd be fine with that. To track that actually. <laughs> they they created a belt and then they just whoever won the most recent game against that team got the belt. I cannot I, I don't know if it's still happening, but that was a thing for a bit and it was very cool. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can dig mm-hmm. that up. Mm hmm. Please do, because I want to talk about that. We're going to be back on our off-season schedule. Uh, I believe probably during bowl season, it's a conversation we have to have. We'll be back to recording on Saturdays um, because, for whatever reason, the national championship in college football is on Monday, which seems silly because it is. We will be watching that game, and I know it's for money. <laughs> and I, get I hate it, it I too. Um, Just do these on Saturday I hate so it. I can stay up late without I hate it. being a zombie I at hate work. It. You have to stay up be great. until midnight. Yep. Watch this. Yep. Just do them on Saturdays. There's no reason. This about the Super Bowl too. Just do it on a Saturday. Like it's meant to be. I wonder if a, if a Super Bowl has ever been played on a Saturday. Anyways, that's going to be it from us, guys. As we always like to say at the end of every episode, don't forget to feed your mascot. <laughs>